0: Hey, everybody, it's Erin Carey. Welcome back to Sparking Wholeness. Today, I'm sitting down with Tamara Rozier. She's a PhD founder of the ADHD Center of West Michigan, where she and her staff work with individuals with ADHD and their families to learn strategies and develop new skills to live effectively with ADHD. Dr. Rosier is also the president of the ADHD Coaches Organization. She is the author of the book, Your Brain's Not Broken. She's a popular conference and keynote speaker, a frequent guest on podcasts, and has published numerous articles about living with ADHD, and she lives in West Michigan. So thank you so much for being on the show today. I am delighted to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah. I'm, I'm excited to have this conversation. We've never, of all the shows that I've done, I've never done one on just ADHD. I think I usually lump it in with mm-hmm. other things. And I think that does a big disservice for people who are struggling with ADHD. So I I'd love to know just background. What is it? Cause we throw it around all mm-hmm. the time. Mm-hmm. So what is it? Um, how do you know if you have it?
1: Yes. You know, it's interesting. Uh, we, as a professional community, has done, have done so poorly at identifying ADHD that TikTok has taken over oh, no. <laughs> and TikTok has <laughs> educated people. The problem with TikTok is, although well-meaning, not all symptoms that they're talking about, like there's kind of a cross. So ADHD is complicated. So here's what essentially what it is. It's a neurological difference. That means we use our brains differently than non-ADHD people. Uh, uh, in a previous show, you had uh, was it Dr. Gluckman
0: mm-hmm. yes. who
1: talked about, and and I would encourage your um, listeners to go back and listen to that through ADHD lenses because she's nailing it for our mm-hmm. ADHD folks. And the, although she and I differ a little bit um, on what ADHD is, she's nailing a lot of it. So for for the parents who have ADHD, please go back and listen to that episode. But uh, ADHD is a neurological difference. And what that means is those of us with ADHD either have an underdeveloped prefrontal cortex cortex, or reliable, unreliable access to it. Now, if you tap the, your forehead, that's where your prefrontal cortex is. Okay. I can, I just envisioned a couple of your readers tapping their forehead. (laughs) I was about to do it myself. (laughs) It's it's right behind there. (laughs) And that is a magical part of the brain. That is this, this part of the brain. I call it the Butler brain. It's the brain that kind of directs your focus. It says, okay, cue empathy. Okay. Remember where you parked your car. Okay. And it's kind of, it's doing this great Butler. It's like Siri of the brain, right? The problem with that is for those of us with ADHD, we usually have unregulated dopamine. And so we usually don't connect well with our prefrontal cortex, which means those of us with ADHD tend not to learn from our mistakes. We tend to struggle with emotional regulation. And I want to tell you, that's a huge one. In fact, my whole book sort of kind of hinges on the emotional dysregulation of ADHD, because I work with a lot of clients who are just sad, um, overwhelmed, pissed off. You know, what I mean, <laughs> they're just like, mm-hmm. I have big emotions and I don't know what to do with them. That is a part of ADHD, and so what happens is we tend to live out of a different part of our brain, and that causes all kinds of hassles when we're not in a survival situation. So essentially that's what ADHD is. I did that answer your question. Absolutely. I
0: think that's really helpful. And I think already there are probably light bulbs going on in a lot of people's brains, because I mean, I know for me, I'm like, oh, that is a great explanation. Makes so much sense. And that's where, you know, I've heard it said that for people with ADHD, even the concept of time is different. And (laughs) this would be what maybe let's talk about time. (laughs)
1: Let's talk about time blindness, shall we? So, and I I write about this. I have no internal chronometer at all in my head. I have no sense of time. I tell time by the sun, because that makes sense. When the sun's setting, I'm probably done. Uh, (laughs) Where I live in West Michigan in the winter, and those of you who kind of live in Minnesota, Wisconsin, you may understand this. We can go days without seeing the sun. And it leaves me with almost a disoriented, out of step with time feeling. And I'm saying all that because those of us with ADHD truly have time blindness. Mm-hmm. Now, to the spouse who's listening, and their, their um, husband or wife has ADHD, they're not doing it on purpose to tick you off. They really cannot feel time accurately. I wear an Apple watch. I, I'm not a spokesperson for them, but I do think every ADHD person should have an interactive watch. Um, that just says, Hey, it's time to do this. Right. Just before this show, um, I'm working on my second book and I started writing, uh, kind of waiting, you know, for the time when you and I would speak and guess what? I almost missed the time. Mm -hmm. Said my little trusty watch said, uh, Hey there, dork, uh, pull out of what you're doing and get, get your head into this. We are time blind. It is not a moral issue. It is truly my prefrontal cortex doesn't understand how time passes. Yeah. So fun things go by really fast. Boring things go by very slowly. (laughs) I feel time. Mm -hmm.
0: It's a feel time is a feeling when you have ADHD. Mm -hmm. That's good. Yeah. And even, I mean, with that, that even goes to that hyper fixation, the fixation, aspect of things, because I resonate with that so much when I am like what you just said, when I'm in, especially writing the whole world, or if I'm reading a book, right. Anything right. can happen around me. I mean, bombs yes. going off in the day. De- I don't know. I'm just, I'm yeah. in it. So yes. tell me about that. And how is that yeah. a benefit? How is that a curse? <laughs> or uh, yes, because it,
1: <laughs> no, curse is actually <laughs> correct. <laughs> um, because, and by the way, uh, I'm not in the camp where I think ADHD is a gift. And I'm mm. not in the camp where I think it's a curse. I'm in the camp squarely in the middle saying, it's just a difference. And uh, largely that difference is between me and how the rest of the world works. And so I want to say that to your um, your listeners, because a lot of us try to fix ADHD. No, if it's a neurological neurological difference, we have to learn to accommodate, mm. which is why I know I'm going to get into writing and all my focus and i was actually writing a fun part today yesterday i was writing a boring part i felt horrible about the whole chapter it was stupid i want to give up the whole book i mean i may have been emotionally overreacting but yes that happened but then today i'm like oh no this is a fun part to write it was more creative and so i was writing it and i and i really got hooked right so those of us with adhd uh, we do this thing where we can't regulate our attention. It's like an on or off switch. Either my attention is fully on one thing. And so everything else is blocked off. Nothing else matters. Like you said, a marching band can come right through. Or uh, it's off and I'm paying attention to too much all the time. Hmm. In fact, if I were to rename ADHD, I, instead of calling it attention deficit, I would call it too much attention disease.
0: I agree. Yeah, that's good. Yeah,
1: yeah. And the reason I add disease is just because I think it sounds funnier that way. <laughs> but uh, it's not really a disease, folks. But it's I have too much attention all the time. I, I'm paying attention to so many different things. Again, my prefrontal cortex isn't saying, "Hey, how about you screen out that lawnmower? How about you screen out the squeaky." this or whatever. No, my brain it has, everything's coming in or nothing's coming in. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's really how hyper-focus works for us. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah no,
0: absolutely. I am no, I'm, I'm just thinking, cause I'm like, gosh, this is, and I, and it makes me wonder what are the things that you've seen trigger one or the other? Is it like, does stress play a role in this? Does stress impede our oh, ability yes. to focus? And
1: so, I actually talk about this a lot in my book. So, um, ADHD folks have big emotions, and so whenever our uh, our emotions get to a level of intensity, that's when the hyperfixation will kick in. So, usually, there's an intensity, happy or sad, the intensity will kick in. Happy, on the happy side, there's new, novel, intriguing. Oh, this is interesting kind, right? Those are happy, uh intense thoughts. Then there's a why you, you know, you're angry, you're hitting trying to hit a deadline. That that's also when it'll kick in. Okay. So very yeah. emotionally driven folks. And I, that sounds offensive to a lot of the intellectual ADHDers out there. Um, I want to reassure you, it doesn't mean you're dumb. It doesn't mean you, you have high emotions. Mm-hmm. I work with families, especially, I love my families out East. They're like, oh, no, 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 you don't understand. We're all Italian. We all yell at each other. I'm like, yes, be that as it may culturally, ADHD is also playing into the big emotions.
0: Yeah that's that's really interesting and so when we're talking about even like thinking about the misconceptions right because typically when we've heard you know growing up it was attention deficit disorder like you said or attention deficit hyperactivity disorder but it's it's not like hyper can't sit still got to jump up and around and move around it's not like that for everybody right. right but what are the misconceptions
1: Well it it could be like that um it could be that, um, for instance, I tend to have the more hyperactive one. So I was at a conference last week where there were a lot of really grown up, smart people there. (laughs) And I'm just telling myself, be cool, Tam, don't be fidgeting. Don't be hopping up. Don't think you need glasses of water. And it was very dense material, very interesting, but very dense material. And so, because I have, I do have the hyperactivity part, Um, I have to camouflage how I fidget, right? Um, There's others who have the inattentive. And the inattentive is they don't outwardly fidget. They inwardly fidget. So they go to this magic land in their brain and just start playing with Legos. And no one will even know that they've left the building. Um, And then there's a third type called combination where you have a little bit of both. So, uh, most of my clients really do fall in the combination category, um, where they have inattention to details, uh, they'll kind of drift off in their head, but they also have, they need to let the energy out. A quick word to your, uh, listeners, those of you who are parents, um, a lot of parents uh, will bring their kids into our office. We're talking. And the child will be sitting, I have exercise balls they can sit on. And of course, they're wobbling around and whoa, and doing all that. Um, but the parents are like, sit still, sit still. But see, I have those exercise balls here on purpose. It's to let out the energy. So if you have the kid that is constantly moving, let, let that energy out. Mm-hmm. And save for the adults. If you know you have the hyperactive, go out running. Mm-hmm. um, do something to let that energy out.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. When, especially when you get that, I mean, I, I definitely, there are those days where it's like, I've got to do something with this or I'm going to explode and I've got to <laughs> keep, keep it cool and I've got to be an adult. So that makes right. a lot of sense. <laughs> yeah. And, and for yeah. our kids, there's so much pressure for kids. I, you know, I mean, I don't want to go in and blast the school system and the way that we do education, but I mean, my youngest really stri- he's in kindergarten and kindergarten has been so hard for him. There's a lot of focus on handwriting at his particular school, yeah. which is kind Buy of you know, a skills. fading trend, but that's so hard for him. And so he's just like, I don't like it. I don't want to do it. And he just does a distracted thing and does the whole, yeah. and I think a lot of us feel that way about anything that that's hard for us, right. Right. Anything right. that's like, and so the fidgeting comes to play, whether you said like, I liked that, the internal mental fidgeting yeah. or the external, yeah. and it's just, yeah, that's,
1: that's interesting. Could I give you just a quick hint of, for yeah. your son? Yeah, for sure. Um, I, this is slightly off where we're going, but I just wanted to add, um, what we want to do with ADHD for adults and children is to go with their flow. And you're saying kindergarten, Hey, it's going against my son's flow. So Mm -hmm. as he's trying to practice handwriting, um, first of all, you could have him stand up and then he's struggling with fine motor skills. You were an educator. I was an educator. We, Mm -hmm. we know that boys don't really acquire fine motor skills for Mm -hmm. longer. Oh, by the way, those of us with ADHD run three years behind our peers, not intellectually, i to say that again, not intellectually, mm-hmm. but in the ability to organize ourselves, manage emotions, we look like we're three years younger. Mm-hmm. Um, around the age of 29 and 30, we catch up and pretty much the skills are still there, hopefully. Right. So um, for your son, uh, th- this is so old school. Um, so there's nothing tech savvy about this is I um, suggest that parents fill a tray with sand and he practices the letters um, the way, however size he wants in the sand, or um, uh, you cut out, this, is, this makes the parrot a little bit more crafty, but cut out sandpaper letters to trace. Mm-hmm. Um, in other words, mm-hmm. you're trying to teach the big movement before we go to the small movement. Um, you can have him write it with his feet, right? That's fun. <laughs> um, yeah, you can even have him just, I mean, it's a great little ankle exercise too if he writes it in the air. The idea is you're getting it into the body in different motions, and that is going to improve.
0: Hmm. But notice
1: we're going with his flow and not sit down, hold this pencil the way I tell you to hold this pencil, and stay in the lines I tell you to stay in. Yeah. If we're really trying to teach the movement, then let's teach the movement. Yeah. So with that,
0: with adults, it makes me think of adult clients. I have that doing mm-hmm. stuff like laundry and the dishes, yeah. it all yeah. piles up because it's not fun. There's nothing engaging about it. And you nailed it. <laughs> what do you do? Like, how, how do you yeah. make yourself do the things yeah. that you don't want to do? Because there are yeah. way more fun things to do in the world.
1: Yeah. Uh, Okay, I talk about this a lot in the book because we have a problem. This is our whole problem. Our whole problem is when it's not fun, low emotional stimulation, there's nothing for me to hold on to. Well, I'm not going to do it because I'm angry at it. I don't feel anything about it. And I can't make it more fun because, seriously, laundry, right? Oh, by the way, I tend to exaggerate the impact of those activities, like, oh, it's going to take me forever to unload the dishwasher. Well, I've timed myself, and it's probably between two and minute, three minutes consistently. Okay? So ADHD people, we, we're uh, adults especially, and this is why I have a job as an ADHD coach, because I try to help them find ways to do the mundane, stupid things in life. See, we're good at doing the interesting things, right? Um, we're not good at the stupid mundane. So the first thing I would have clients do is make a list of all the things you think are stupid. <laughs> just, and I use the word stupid yeah. because that's how we feel like mm-hmm. I'm willing to dishwasher. That's just stupid. Like I know I want clean clothes, but just doing it is stupid. I was working with a woman who just is like, you know what I hate? I hate transferring it, the wet to the dry. <laughs> I think it's just, <laughs> I hate it. And there's a sensory thing, by the way, those of us with ADHD, we tend to have heightened senses, be very sensitive. Mm -hmm. And so she's like, I like the smell. I just hate the, I don't know, they're just wrinkly and I hate I have to bend down. I just hate the whole process. And I I, I need to tell you, we're not going to make that process easier. But in her case, we're we're going to distract her other senses. Um, So she listens to podcasts. While she's doing laundry. Right? She sets timers um, to remember to change her flip and laundry. So so that's a, that's one way of trying to get yourself to do the yellow task. By the way, a lot of my ADHE clients, number one symptom they report is overwhelmed. Yeah. <laughs> I just saw your face mm-hmm. and went, Oh, I know that one. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. So, We tend to be people of big capacity. We love, we love potential. We love doing stuff. We love new ideas. We're just excited. And yet the world keeps coming in too fast and it's coming in, coming in, coming in. And here's what happens. Um, Our body gets so overwhelmed and our neurotransmitters go kind of get wonky and then cortisol starts to turn up because it's trying to manage those mm. uh, neurotransmitters, which doesn't quite work because now, even though we're getting dopamine spikes, it's still exhausting to us. So we're caught in this exhaustive cycle. And so for many of my ADHD clients, and I see this in children too, they're just exhausted all the time. Um, sleep is very important to us. mm mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Um, nearly a hundred percent of my clients have some sort of sleep issues mm. either they can't go to sleep they can't stay asleep or they think sleep is just a colossal waste of time yeah they have some kind of sleep quirkiness about them so that's um and, and sleep is one of the key things for those of us with ADHD yeah we have that- reverse sleep cycles and if we don't get a full, three cycles, we're, we're a little bit off the next day.
0: Reverse sleep cycles. Okay. Let's break that one down. What, what's reverse sleep cycles?
1: Yeah. So most ADHD people, um, especially unmedicated, have reverse sleep cycles, which means uh, neurotypical people tend to go into their deepest sleep cycles. And the deep sleep sleep cycles are the, the cleansing cycles. Okay, I imagine like a you know little babes going through your brain just kind of like scraping things off right but uh adhd folks go in that cycle the very last sleep cycle which means we've got to put our we've got to put in seat time we've got us we've got to be in bed and sleeping enough time to get the full cleansing cycle mm. i have to tell you I spend a lot of my time and energy with my adult clients, just trying to convince grown people to go to bed and to stay in bed. I believe that. And they say things like, well, I got five hours of sleep. Cool. Cool story, bro. But that's not going to get you the cleansing you need.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's huge. And then, cause I have a lot of, you know, I work with a lot of health coaching. And so I have people that it's, they want to make better food choices but then, you know, not having the good sleep is not really going to set you up to make great food choices. And then if you have ADHD, <laughs> that's right. going to skew your choices too, especially with that emotional, like, I mean, oh well, this sounds good. So I'm going to have this. That sounds good. Oof. And I mean, that that's an ongoing, you know, I have people that are like, well, I want a yeah. meal prep, but of course that's not fun. I mean, it's fun for no. a week because it's new. <laughs> But then after that, like there's no sustaining it. and Nobody likes that. I don't do it. Right. Um, so what are some workarounds even there with wanting to make better habits? But
1: yeah, struggling. Okay. So yeah, let's, let's take it out of habits because we're consistently inconsistent people. So I, I see a lot of my ADHD clients just kind of racking their brain. How can I make a habit? And the ADHD person will make a habit and then literally just forget that we have a habit. We can do the right thing for 75 days and then wake up the 76th and literally forgot Mm -hmm. that we do it. Uh, We have short-term and working memory issues. That's part of ADHD. Mm -hmm. So some workarounds, let's just talk about eating for workarounds. Uh, If you're medicated for ADHD, you're not going to want to eat during the day,
0: Mm
1: -hmm. right? Which is not a problem um, unless you're kind of an 11-year-old boy who might be too skinny, right? Mm -hmm. If you're 11... or if your listeners have an 11-year-old boy who's too skinny, um, I always suggest sneaking fat into his diet during the day. Mm. And you, a healthy source is a right? The brain needs that to develop. So we can do that. Um, for the rest of us, here's what happens, especially medicated. We tend to be okay during the day. Oh, and then our stimulant wears off. All of a sudden, our dopamine levels are unregulated. And now I'm like, hmm, and guess what gives me a nice little rush? Sugar, carbs, Mm -hmm. and the most dangerous time for me personally is between seven and eight each night. I'm done with my day. I have emotions to eat, right? Right. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure carbs are going to solve my problems.
0: Always. (laughs)
1: Yes. Yes. And so it starts by me understanding how I tend to work and identifying my dangerous pattern. And my dangerous pattern is seven to eight. So I make sure I'm not near the kitchen during seven to eight. Oh, and I should add, I am a lazy eater. Um, Some of my clients are very lazy eaters too. Now my husband has ADHD. He's not a lazy eater. He'll like prepare a plate. He actually sits down um, I usually watch what he's doing and go, oh yeah, okay, I'll have some olives too. And I eat them at standing at the counter. And I know half of your audience just went, "Ew, sit down. It's just not how I work. I'm a standing eater, right? And a lazy one. So I want food already to walk into my mouth. Mm-hmm. I don't want to have to prep it. Mm-hmm. And so that makes it very difficult. If I don't have good food choices around. So uh, for me personally. um, and Because I'm not working with a client. Normally I wouldn't um, use myself as an example all the time. But for me personally. I know my danger zone is between 7 and 8. I push through that. If at 8 o'clock I'm still like. "Uh, I don't think I'm going to sleep through the night. I'm not sure I have enough fuel to make it. I will either fry an egg. And, you know, from nutrition, that eggs are incredible. Mm -hmm. They balance, um, throughout your sleep or I'll grab a couple olives. And again, I love both. Yeah. Yeah. Well, to your clients, they're like, well, that's not a meal. It's like, you're right. I just need enough fuel to get me through the night. Yeah. Because a lot of us, um, the reason some of us don't stay asleep is we, we have fluctuating, uh, blood levels blood sugar levels. Mm-hmm. And so I'm kind of sensing that going, mm, I might need a little bit more fuel and I'm doing it on purpose, but I've, I've made it through the witching hour of seven to eight for me. Yeah. Now I can hear your listeners going, well, my witching hour is between 1 PM and 12 AM. Um, I, I would really challenge that and just really try to find the different parts of your time where it's very difficult for you.
0: Yeah, that's good. I think that's really helpful. And it's, I mean, like you said, do, do what you can, you know, and, and, mm-hmm. and knowing yourself, that's the other thing. How hard is it to, to create self-awareness um, with
1: ADHD? Oof, this is an ugly answer. Really hard. Yeah. Um, The prefrontal cortex That's, you know, that little PFC behind the fingers that you tapped, that helps us have uh, not only emotional regulation, but self-awareness. It is embarrassingly difficult for those with ADHD. Um, And I'm sad saying this, because I have to tell you, I work with incredible clients. I mean, they are beautiful people. They're hard workers. They're funny as all get out, but they're not always self-aware. And so the first step is always to increase your self-awareness. Go go to someone you trust. Uh, There's an exercise and people can look it up on the, uh, just look it up. I'm sure there's websites about this. Uh, It's called Jahari's Window. Um, that can give you an insight into yourself. Uh, I, I'll be really honest. I, I got feedback in my young 30s, um, so this is a long time ago, but the feedback was, hey, you don't understand. You intimidate a lot of people. And at the time, I was a non-tenured professor, and I, I saw myself as fun-loving and energetic. Certainly not someone who intimidates people twice my age, mm-hmm. right? And that feedback, I was like, how did I miss this my whole life? <laughs> people are experiencing this. So, so really increasing your self-awareness is incredible. I think it's your biggest task if you have ADHD
0: yeah yeah, and, and I think that goes for a lot of the other mental, say disorders, dysfunctions, imbalances that we have that that mm-hmm. goes along right along with all of them. Um, now tell me, how often is ADHD misdiagnosed or how is it misdiagnosed? What else does yeah. it look like? because I think we're seeing more and more people being diagnosed as adults because it's missed mm-hmm. for forever. Yep. Like, what is it looked at as instead of ADHD?
1: Oh boy. I am so glad you asked this. I, I, I'm so irritated at this answer. If you are a smart female and heaven forbid a minority, you are going to get misdiagnosed almost hundred mm. percent, especially if you're, you're successful at what you do. Mm. Um, and I hate that uh, because first of all, women tend to go mis underdiagnosed and misdiagnosed uh they tend to get labeled as uh, generalized anxiety um depressive disorder um or bipolar
0: I, I was wondering i bet there are many cases where bipolar disorders misdiagnosed or adhd is misdiagnosed as bipolar disorder that's yep. so interesting yep.
1: if you're a boy and you're highly intelligent you're more likely to be called, um, oppositionally defiant. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I, you know, I kind of say this tongue in cheek, but it's really true. I see two kinds of clients in my practice, the calm and compliant and then the oppositional. (laughs) It doesn't mean they're oppositionally defiant. What that means is they're smart and they're questioning everything around them and their lack of impulse is, say, well, no, I'm not going to do that. Tell me why first. And that just really rubs people the wrong way. <laughs> and then uh, the ADHD person kind of latches into, wow, I just kind of got a little dopamine from that. So now I'm going to question my environment even more and more aggressively. It's still not oppositionally defiant behavior or a disorder. It's, it's just someone who's interacting with their world. So, uh, getting an accurate diagnosis is really difficult and I'm sad to say this, but we are woefully behind, um, research. The DSM, the manual that people use to diagnose ADHD is at least 20 years out of date. Mm. It doesn't include symptoms that we know are associated with ADHD. And there are people much smarter than I working on this right now. Tom Brown uh, comes to mind, but there's a lot of others who are really pushing how can we change this? Um, but until we do, it's very hard to get an accurate diagnosis.
0: Yeah, gosh, I, I believe that. And I think that. I mean, so many of what you've already said, I think a lot of people would go, wait a minute, that's ADHD. I thought ADHD going back I, to, was just the fidgety person, <laughs> the person mm-hmm. that can't sit still. Um, but right. it's so much more than that at the brain level, lo- at the neurological level, you know, exactly. so I agree yeah. there needs to be a lot more. And I'm, I'm <laughs> hoping that that's the case and just creating that awareness. And cause maybe just that, External awareness will help us all create that inner self-awareness of, oh, Mm -hmm. my brain is functioning differently. Therefore, I should support my brain in a different way.
1: Exactly. You know, the biggest comment I'm getting from uh, my book and readers have been so wonderful and kind of sending me the responses. Um, And I just, I have to tell you, I just have this amazing group of kind readers, but they're sending me, I cried when I read your book because I felt seen and heard. It was the first time that someone's describing me. And then I, it, it was it's like the beginning of the journey for them. Mm. Um, someone uh, just wrote to me just yesterday and said, uh, there are a lot of times I looked around and was wondering if you were actually in our house <laughs> because you were describing things. And so what I find, and, and the reason I wrote the book is People are coming to me in such pain, and it was emotional pain. They were overwhelmed, they were sad, and frankly, like me, thinking, Man, how dumb am I that I can't even act like a grown up? Like, what's wrong with me? And so, they were that was the place I had to start with them in their coaching. It wasn't how did we organize our day, by the way, we're terrible at that. <laughs> we tend to struggle with sequential ordering of things, but it was really the, I feel really bad all the time. And that's actually why I wrote the book. Um, it's why it's titled your brain's not broken.
0: I love that title. I, can you talk a little bit more about uh, why you decided to call it that? Why you feel like there's a need for that message to even be
1: out there? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm going to tell a story of myself and how emotionally I can get. Uh, it's, remember my first book, I didn't know how any of this worked. And uh, when you're working with a publisher, it goes through something called titling, which means the publisher and a lot of people who haven't read the book just make up titles and send them to you. And so they sent me a couple titles. And of course, I would love to say that I responded like a rational human, but I didn't. I kind of burst into tears like, none of this is right. (laughs) And I know that sounds overly dramatic, but, you know, it was at the end of a long day. I got the email at 830 at night. I wasn't at my emotional best. Meds have worn off. Um, I called my son-in-law, who um, has worked in publishing. And I just said, I don't even know what to do. None of these are right. And he's like, well, this is, he doesn't have ADHD. Well, this is a process, Tamara. So now you propose things back to them. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> I said, but I don't even know what I would call it. And so we're talking, and he's he's a very kind, patient person. He and he said, you know what I hear you saying all the time. I, I hear you telling people your brain's not broken. And at that point, I literally said, I say that. <laughs> <laughs> And I guess I do. I see it, and so um, thanks to him, the that's how the title came about. That's, Little drama, that's perfect. Yeah, I, I hate that I was so dramatic about it, but uh, that's how it came about.
0: Yeah, I mean, just the title brings hope. You know, like it's it's different messaging than what many of us have heard before yeah. about the state of our yeah. brain.
1: Yes. Yeah. Well, in that, and I wrote the whole book almost. This sounds so cheesy. But as a love letter to all the people who worried that their brains are broken. Yeah. And all the people who just are limping through the day going, I don't know why I'm not smart enough, grown up enough, strong enough, whatever to make it through.
0: Mm. All those limiting beliefs. I'm sure they're even more limiting when you are struggling oh, yeah. with that regulation. <laughs>
1: yes. Yeah. Yeah. Which is why I kind of tell the story about the titling, tell the story on myself, even though it's embarrassing. Because, look, I didn't have emotional regulation. It was eight thirty about a project I cared deeply about, right? I didn't have the emotional regulation, and that is what's really kicking our behinds mm. um, for most of us with ADHD.
0: And, and the kids, you know, it's like if if adults are struggling with this gosh, how much more sympathetic, empathetic can we be with our kids that can't just get it together when we tell them to, you know,
1: right. Right. And it's just ridiculous. Um, so something, uh, that I heard in that previous podcast that I mentioned, um, she said, you know, parents can't give what they don't have.
0: Mm.
1: And I'm always helping parents say, Hey, we need to manage your ADHD. Oh, by the way, a little tidbit, ADHD is highly, (laughs) highly hereditary. Mm -hmm. So it swims around in families. Oh yeah. Um, And uh, the latest I've heard, if a father has ADHD, he has an 80% chance of having a child with ADHD. 80%? 80. That's huge. Uh, Yes. Which is why I'm puzzled why the, My insurance isn't paying more attention to this. Uh, ADHD is actually a hazardous thing to have in our society. Mm -hmm. Um, I know that adolescents will involve themselves in riskier behaviors, car accidents, drug use, alcohol use, you name it. We're at greater risk. And so it is truly, um, our jails are full of ADHD people. I believe that. I mean, yeah. that's something that weighs on my heart a lot.
0: that's heavy. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Because it's not fair. No. Um, now I want to just kind of say this. There's a difference between character and an ADHD symptom,
0: mm-hmm.
1: right? Um, it If you take it back to the children, you'll see children doing something impulsive, mean, stupid. And then later they're like, oh, mom, I am so sorry. <laughs> That's character coming out. They knew right from wrong. In the impulsive moment, they were egocentric and they made the wrong choice. And and you see the difference, right? And a lot of parents will go, well, then stop doing it. Well, okay, then help me regulate my dopamine.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's so huge, man. This is good. So the name of the book is your brain's not broken and you can find it anywhere, right? (laughs) Yes. Yep. And what's your website,
1: uh, website, and social is media. Tamara, all yep. Tamara,
0: Okay. And then tell me, you know, my favorite question to ask people is if you could give one piece of advice to spark someone toward wholeness, what would it be?
1: Uh, be kind and accepting of who you are. Um, a lot of us with ADHD are just kind of perpetually angry with ourselves mm-hmm. because we're not measuring up and just to sh- be kind and, and compassionate. And guess what happens? That's the gift that keeps giving when you're kind, compassionate with yourself, you'll tend to be kind and compassionate with other people.
0: Yeah.
1: And so I guess that's, that's my biggest that's huge. hope for people. I, yeah. I agree. Yeah.
0: I think that's so important. And, and, you know, and, and I'm thinking we're at the end of this episode. And at this point you could have done laundry. Gosh, how many loads of laundry can we do <laughs> in this amount of time? This is how I'm going to think right. about things now. Like how many podcasts can I listen to if I <laughs> do all these things I don't want to yeah. do? Cause I, I literally have a perpetual laundry basket in the floor of my bedroom that sometimes I just get clean clothes out of. Cause I don't want to put it away. <laughs> Why do oh, I do that? And, I'm going to wear that. You know so. No judgment.
1: no judgment for that. Uh, I do want to say, I think parents of younger children get a complete pass on laundry because you have these little mess makers who don't really contribute to the laundry cycle except to add more. So I think you guys all get a big pass as they grow up. You'll help them learn how to do the laundry and manage their own input Mm -hmm. and output. But right now, you keep digging that out. That's fine. Yeah,
0: yeah it's fine. It's, I mean, it's just like yoga pants and underwear. They don't need to be put away. Yeah. I'm going to wear them eventually. So yeah, just keep them in the Hundred
1: percent, you're you're my people. So, so yes. that's
0: my tip for listeners: <laughs> just keep it in the laundry <laughs> basket. Don't put it away. Yeah. But, no, this has been super helpful, and I know that um, this is just—I mean, I, this is going to blow up. I I already can tell you that listeners are going to love this one, and so I appreciate you taking oh, the time away from writing and doing the things that um, you need to do and love to do to just to have this conversation and to and to share hope with other people.
1: Oh, there's so much hope. I just, I, I really want people to understand if you hurt yourself at all today, just explore it. You don't have to get diagnosed. You don't have to get, take medication, but just knowing is better. Knowing how your brain works is better.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It leads to that self-compassion. I love it. And I could have asked you a thousand other questions, but maybe we'll do this again sometime. So thank you again for being on. This is great. Oh, thank you so much. The tiniest spark leads to the biggest blaze. And I hope that today's episode sparks you on a journey to healing and wholeness. Thanks for listening to Sparking Wholeness. For more information on what I do and my coaching programs, or maybe just to reach out and say, hey, find me at sparkingwholeness.com or on Instagram at Wholeness. Have a fabulous week.